0: You know, I was, I was, I've been reading about church discipline, um, and where I think, <laughs> right, you're like, oh, jeez, I have been gone for two weeks, so the guns are loaded, right? Um, I, you know, I, I, here's where, honestly, I, I think when I read through the Apostle Paul's letters and I read about first century church discipline, where I really think we miss it uh, as a church today 21st century church if you will is the idea of church discipline and, and here's what I would say with that we have become so concerned, maybe consumed um, and and thoughtful of the idea that we have to be so welcoming, so accommodating, so friendly, and so open doors to everyone that we can't offend anybody or make anybody upset that in our attempt to welcome, we have also became tolerant of toxicity. Now, hear me. I am chief of open the doors. I love everybody. I want every, I'm not talking about welcoming in the community into our church. I'm not talking about welcoming people into our church. What I'm talking about is welcoming them in and no change happens in them. And we become tolerant and acceptable of their toxicity over and over and over and over. That's the challenge, right? Right? And so let me read to you really quick what the Apostle Paul says to Timothy when it comes to this. And man, if you, if you began to read church discipline in the first century, I'm telling you, Paul called everyone from Satan to casting them out to Satan to throwing people out of the church. I mean, he put up with zero toxicity from the body of Christ. There was no place for it in the body of Christ. He was done with it. He would confront it head on. Matter of fact, if you read most of his letters, most of them are confronting. If you read First and Second Corinthians. That is just hammer, meat, nail. You're toxic. You're out of line. Fix your behavior or get out of the church. Like he is just, he's intense with it. And I don't want you to misinterpret me. Okay, so let me give you context to this passage that I'm going to read. All right, this is Paul. Writing to Timothy, who is a pastor, engaging the church body about the toxicity that exists in their church body, okay? This is not, hey, let's welcome people from outside. Oh, no, 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 you don't belong here. You can't come in here. None of that is happening here, right? And none of that better be happening in here. We love everybody. We welcome everybody. But if you spend six months here and you're the same toxic person you were six months ago as you walked in today and you just expect us to deal with it, tolerate it, and accept it, this is what Paul has to say. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 9. You should know this, Timothy. That in the last days, there will be very difficult times. Listen to the description of the people. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. Listen to this indictment. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. He says they will come to church, and they will worship among you and they will serve with you, and they will go to group with you, and they will do all of the things that make them look religious. But in here, they are rejecting the power that could make them godly. In other words, I want your friendship, but I don't want your faith. I would love to have your friendship, but I don't really want the faith that you have. I'm content being boastful, being selfish, being proud, being rude, being unloving, being ungrateful, being unforgiving. I'm content being these things, and I'll come to church because you're kind enough to accept me over and over and over and over, and then allow me to... Listen to Paul's warning here. Listen to what he says. Stay away from people like that. Everybody comes to me asking me for permission. Pastor, can I have permission to do this. Can I vape? Can I smoke weed? Can I do all these? It's always like, hey, what's, what am I, what is my limits? What can I do? Can I have pastoral permission? Let me give you pastoral permission this morning. If you have had a toxic person for months try to weave themselves into your life and try to fit themselves into everything that's going on with you by way of your faith, but still have refused to change anything about their spirit, and they still expect you to Communicate with them. They expect you to respond to them. They expect you to call them. They expect you to text them back. They expect you to message them back. Here is your pastoral permission stay away. Couple amens in the place. Stay away. You do not have to be friends with everybody, you do not have to tolerate everybody's toxicity. You do not have to force yourself to be around unloving, ungrateful, disobedient, nothing is sacred, unloving, unforgiving, slanderous, no self-control, cruel, hateful, no good, betraying, reckless, puffed up with pride, loving their own pleasure rather than God people. Just because you want to be a good Christian doesn't mean you throw your faith out the window to be friendly. Look at what he says about them. Verse 6, he says, they are the kind who work their way into people's homes. They take advantage of your Christian kindness. They take advantage of your grace. They take advantage of your goodness. They take advantage of your love. And they weave their way into your home. And then, what does he say? These teachers oppose the truth. They have depraved minds and a counterfeit Faith, he's saying there, faith is fake. Verse 9, but they won't get away with this for long. Someday, everyone will recognize what fools they are. You do not have to spend your life allowing toxicity to exist in your home in your family, in your friendships, and in your relationships out of just trying to be a gracious, kind Christian with people who act religious but reject what could be. This is the premise. I'll get to empty graves now. This is the entire premise of empty graves. What are we going to spend the next three weeks talking about? You coming out of the grave of toxicity coming out of the grave of anger, coming out of the grave of lying, of gossip, of deceit, of no self-control, of worry, of suffering, of hurt, of brokenness. When we sing, dead man, come out of that grave. Come on, you love that one, right? When we start singing that, you know we're not talking about Jesus, right? That's already happened, When we sing that song, dead man come out of that grave, what are we declaring? Ourselves. I'm calling myself out of a grave. I'm calling my family out of a grave. I'm calling my children out of a grave. I'm calling my neighbors out of a grave. We're not singing about Jesus. He's already done resurrected. It's already happened. When we sing that song, we make these declarations. Resurrection life is me. It is you. Jesus has already done it. The premise of resurrection in Scripture is not an event that changes us. That does happen. Catch me. But the premise of resurrection in Scripture is not solely an event that changes us. It is an event that changes us, that we embody for daily living. I become resurrection life. Jesus died, Jesus rose, and he set the precedent for me so I can die and I can raise and I can be empowered by the Spirit to live and do the things of Jesus and be a different person person. We totally miss this, okay? If we make Easter about an event of Jesus raising from the dead and we don't take that event and apply it to our daily living, we completely miss the message of Easter. The message of Easter is not history. The message of Easter is revelation, And it is this revelation that Jesus died, Jesus rose, I die, I rise, I am a new person. Jesus said it himself, John chapter 11, verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. Jesus said, I I am resurrection and life, so guess what you become? You become resurrection and life. I have died, so guess what you do? you die. And guess what you do? You rise. Why? Because I did. Paul does this beautifully through his epistles every single time. He is relating himself to Jesus. Listen to how he embodies resurrection. Galatians 2.20, one of my favorite verses. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What does Paul say? I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. I have taken the resurrection of Jesus, and I have applied it to my daily course of living. I die, I rise, I become like Jesus. I die, I rise, I become like Jesus. Romans 6, 4. He says, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live new lives. What does Paul do again? Paul says, here is what resurrection is. It is an event that happened that now happens in me. It is something that happened that now happens in me. And just as Christ died, I am baptized into that death. And just as Christ has risen, I can rise into new life. That is the anthem of empty graves. Jesus rose, so my grave is empty. Jesus rose, so my grave is empty. I'm going to say it. You're going to say it with me. Jesus rose, so my grave is empty. Come on, believe it. Jesus rose, so my grave is empty. One more time. Jesus rose, so my grave is empty. Toxicity is over. Suffering is over. Worry is over. Fear is over. Hurt is over. Brokenness is over. That grave is empty because Jesus rose. It's what Paul is saying over and over. Paul says, Jesus rose, so I'm not stuck. You are not stuck in here today you're not stuck you're not as stuck as you think you are you're not as mu- in as much trouble as you think you are Jesus rose so my grave is empty all right you ready to empty some graves here's what we're going to do over the next three weeks We're going to empty grave after grave after grave after grave, three a week, empty the graves until we get to Easter. We are going to empty the grave of death. We are going to empty the grave of sin, and we are going to empty the grave of life, and we are going to rise to new life in Christ, all right? First, let's start here, Luke 7, 11 through 17. This is Jesus. He says, soon after we're Jesus went to the town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. She had lost her husband, and now she just lost her son. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, don't cry. Then he went up and touched the buyer they were carrying him on, and the bearers stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to his people to help. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. Um, my, my children, they are masters at getting stuck in things. Anyone, anyone have that experience? Whether it, 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 I don't know how they, I don't know how you can get stuck. Zadok got stuck in a target cart That was an awesome one. Anna was like one step away from calling the fire department to get the jaws of life to rip a target cart in half. I mean, he had his chubby little elbow stuck in that thing. And I'm talking stuck. I was like, go back into the store and buy some olive oil. Just Pour it all over him and pop him right out of there, right? But I mean, he was stuck in there. Um, Canaan got stuck one time in my office chair armrest. I'm talking, he sat down in my office chair, he pulled himself up to the desk, and then he decided he wanted to get out, so he turned, and he tried to climb out underneath the armrest, and then he just, he got pinned down by the armrest, and his legs weren't long enough, so he's just sitting there kicking his feet, and he's like, dad, I'm stuck. Dad, I'm gonna break my back. Dad, I can't get out of here. I'm like, what are you doing? How do you get stuck in the armrest of an office chair, right? But uh, one the other day, this was funny. You gotta admit, this was a funny one. We were, um, we went and got some food, and we had a, a Kane's kids' water cup. It was a Sunday, by the way. Where's Mike? Mike, I'm not cheating. It was a Sunday. It was a Sunday, I promise. So we were at Cane's. We had a kids' water cup. And you know in the kids' water cup, the lid, it's, got, it, it's a plastic lid, and it's got that, that perforated area where you put the straw through, and it's got those little spike things on the other end. So Zadok brilliantly doesn't decide to use his straw. He decides to use his finger, and he sticks his finger in there. And he's stuck, man. His finger's stuck. Pulls it out. I'm driving the car, and all of a sudden, I hear Anna scream, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. I'm like, wow, 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 what's happening? It's like, Sadoc's finger is stuck. And I look back, and he's sitting there, and he's got his finger like this, and he's got the lid on it. And his finger's turning colors, and she's like, what do we do? What do we do? And you know, it's funny. Um, Roger was actually great feedback for me. He's a marriage pastor. He's come. He spoke here a couple times. He said he used to get frustrated with his wife when she would just ask him random questions. Uh, I'm guilty of that. When I'm in when I'm in the bad husband mindset, Anna's like, uh, "What do we do?" And I'm like, "Why on earth would you even ask me that? Are you? Si- I mean, why would you even ask me that question? You, is this real? Is this real life?" But I, now Roger said, and "I thought this was great." He said, uh, "Instead of getting frustrated, I just make up answers." So I've, I have adapted that. That is, that is exactly what I do now. So Anna is like, oh, my gosh, what do we do? His finger's stuck. And I said, okay, here's, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to drive to the emergency room. And when I get there, you're going to go out and take him in. They're probably going to put him under anesthesia. And when he's, when he's out, um, the, he may lose the finger, but I think he'll keep the hand, right? I think it be about a six to eight month recovery. He's going to be okay. He'll probably never play the guitar, but he could probably still throw and catch. And and everything's gonna be okay. Like, it'll come back to him, and she's finally looking at me, and she's like, You're an idiot. Like, really? And I said, Here, I "I reached back, and you know what I did? That right there. You know what happened? You know, he winced a little bit. He's like, He cried for like 10 seconds. And you know what he was doing? Eating fries. He was fine. (laughs) Fingers stayed attached. You know, there, there are times where I think we are looking for this big, huge plan to get us stuck out of the grave we're in when all we need to do is just get out. There are times where we're stuck in suffering, we're stuck in toxicity, we're stuck in negativity, we're stuck in lies, we're stuck in the wrong things, and we're thinking, man, I need this massive move of God. No, you don't. You just need to step out of the grave that you decide to live in. You just need to step out of it. You need to do the first thing that you need to do is just take one step towards Jesus and one step out of the grave that you are in and watch what will happen. I am continually amazed by people that I meet with who think their life is over and a week after following Jesus are burning so red hot you can't slow them down. It's not as bad as you think. And you don't need this huge diagnosis plan. You just need to start taking a step out of the grave that has enslaved you towards the one who sets you free. And watch what his spirit will do. Watch what his power is capable of. I think that's part of the problem. We begin to make it all about us. Right? When we don't realize that the God who sent his spirit to dwell among us, to live within us, to set us free, is just waiting for a step. He's just waiting for the door to open to do a transformational work within us. Okay, let's jump in. We've got three graves to empty. The first grave this morning is the grave of weeping. It's the grave of weeping. It's the first thing Jesus does, Luke 7, 11 through 12. It says, soon afterward, Jesus went to the town called Maine, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person, well, I'm on this, a dead person was being carried out, and the only son of his, mo- she, he was the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her and he said, Don't cry. To give a little context here, to be a widow during this time in society was to be completely vulnerable and exposed. Women weren't allowed to conduct trade in the marketplace. They weren't allowed to do financial transactions. If a husband passed away, it was the responsibility of the son to manage the household. This woman losing her husband and then losing her son literally left her without anything. It was not just devastating emotionally. It was devastating financially. It was devastating socially. This was just an absolute abandonment for her of her protection in the world of her security and of the masculine presence that was required for her to continue on with her life and yet what do we see Jesus do he looks at her and the first thing he says is don't cry now listen Jesus was not being harsh he was not being rude what did scripture say his heart had compassion for her He was not being harsh. He wasn't being rude. He wasn't being insensitive. He said, Don't cry because he is the only one who can bring her joy. You have to understand this. The one who says, Take up your mat and walk is also the one who can say, Don't cry. Jesus can call you out of your suffering because he's the only solution. He can call you out of your dysfunction because he is the only one who can set you free. He can call you out of your hurt because he's the only one that can heal you. So when Jesus says, don't cry, he's not saying, dry your tears, boy. Come on, be a man. Stand up on your own two feet. He's saying, don't cry. I'm the one who brings joy. Don't cry. I am the one who who can help you. The only one who can help you is here. Listen to what he said, Luke six twenty one. right before. He said, blessed are you when you hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. What is the beatitude that Jesus says? Blessed are you who mourn, for you will be comforted. Blessed when you are more. You will be comforted. In other words, I can call you out of what you're into if I have the solution for it. Mother, don't cry. Joy is here. Mother, don't cry. Hope is here. Don't cry. Satisfaction is here. Don't cry. The answer you're looking for is here. You know why? Because Jesus was in that grave before you were in it, and he has already risen so that you can rise out of it. We miss this with Isaiah 53. talks about the sins of all, not in part but by whole. They were placed on Jesus at the cross. You know what that means? That means Jesus was in your grave of suffering before you ever made it in there. Jesus was in your grave of toxicity before you ever made it in there. Jesus was in your grave of anxiety before you ever made it in there. And he rose out of it to give you a pathway out. He is the answer. He can call you from where you're at because he can take you to where you need to go. He can say, don't cry, because he's the one who brings joy. He can say, dry your tears, because he's the only one that can satisfy My son, uh, Canaan, anyone got this? Look, he's the most passionate human in our family, which makes him the most fun, uh, but it also makes him the most explosive, right? Um, He he can go zero to 100 really, really quick. And I mean, small things can become a really, really, really big deal. Anyone else have a five, six-year-old that can really, okay, how about a teenager, right? But it can just, it can go off the rails Quick. Uh, I mean I'm talking like, hey buddy, I brought you dinner. Here's a chicken sandwich. Why did you give me a chicken sandwich when you know I wanted chicken fingers? Now I'm not gonna have any dinner and I'm gonna be starving. What am I supposed to eat around here? We don't have any food, and now you brought me the wrong thing. And now what is your son gonna do? I'm like, my gosh, take the bread off and give me a knife. I'll make you some nuggets. I'm like, geez, dude it's just massive right goes off the rails so the other night i don't even, do you remember i don't even remember what we were celebrating we were celebrating something we went to Sam's Club, and we bought this big cake, and it was a, it was a really good cake, and we had it at our house, and we we're like, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go to dinner, and then we're going to have dessert at the house. It's going to be great. So we all load up in the car. We go to this little hole-in-the-wall Italian place that we, we love, and we sit there. We eat all the food. Kenny's having so much fun. He's eating his food, and then all of a sudden, uh, he finishes his meal. We wrap up, and he says, okay, I want to order dessert, and I said, okay, buddy. I said, we're, we're actually not ordering dessert here and literally before I could even say the next sentence he is crying and I'm talking about Taylor Swift breakup song crying like he is why would you not let me get dessert here like we're supposed to be celebrating and this is our favorite restaurant and you won't even give me dessert and I'm saying dry your tears now. Dry your tears. Why am I telling him to dry his tears? Because I have everything he could ever want in my possession waiting for him. He just has to get beyond himself. Why does Jesus say dry your tears? Because everything that you're waiting for, he has everything He wants to sow into you, everything He wants to restore, everything He wants to heal. But at some point, we have to take a step out of the grave of suffering. I loved what Andy said the other day in our offices. He said, suffering is not an excuse for toxicity. Suffering is not an excuse to just mail it in and be a jerk to everybody. Suffering is not an excuse to gossip and cause problems and be a troublemaker. Suffering is not an excuse. What did Paul do with his suffering? He gave God glory for it. He turned it into a praise in a prison. He was suffering and he said, but may God have glory from these chains. What did he do? He stepped out of the grave of prison and into the place where God wanted him to. He was leading worship in a prison. Prison guards were getting saved and turning their lives around around Paul who was preaching from a prison cell while he was chained to a wall. Suffering was not an excuse for him to drown in his own sorrows. Why? Because Jesus has the answer. Hear me, I don't want to come across insensitive to you who are suffering. We mourn with those who mourn, but we also tell you there is something that is greater than your heartache. There is someone who is greater than your pain and his spirit can bring joy and peace that transcends your understanding. You don't even understand what you're going through. And it is gut-wrenching and heartbreaking that you're going through it. Listen today, there is a peace that transcends your understanding by the Spirit of God if you will take a step out of suffering and into the hope that he has for you. Grave number two is the grave of touch. I love this one. Luke 7, verse 14. It says, Then he went up and touched the buyer they were carrying him on, and the bears stood still. I'm going to give you context, but you, you don't understand what we just read. To reach out and touch a dead body in this Jewish culture was to become unclean for seven days and then have to have the approval of a priest to step out of quarantine. You thought COVID was bad. Let's go Luke 5, 12 through 13. This is just prior, okay? This is what happened just prior. Um, it says, Well, Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Verse 13, listen to what Jesus does. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. To touch somebody with leprosy, to touch somebody who was unclean was to become unclean yourself. It was as if you were treated the same way that the leper was then treated. A chapter later in Luke chapter 8, the woman with the issue of blood touches Jesus and touch goes out from him. And what happens? She is healed. Why? Because in in the world, if we touch something that is unclean, we become unclean. But in the kingdom, if we touch what is unclean, Clean and we're unclean, it makes us clean. In other words, Jesus is willing to touch your dysfunction. Jesus is willing to touch your messed up life and straighten it out. He's willing to touch your shame and purify you from it. He's willing to touch your guilt and heal you. He's willing to touch your brokenness. And transform it among you. We have to see we have a God who desires to touch what is unclean. If you came in here today and you felt like, man, I don't even know if I deserve to be in God's presence, I don't even know if I am allowed to worship like other people worship. I don't even know if I'm allowed to sit up front because that's probably where the really spiritual people sit. So I may sit back there and just sneak in and sneak out because I, 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 I am a little unclean. We serve a God who touches the unclean and makes it clean. We serve a God who wants to touch it. And I'm not hating on the back row. I love you. And I see some of my friends back there like, well, thanks a lot, Luke. No, I, I'm not, but I, I'm just saying. If you feel like you are unclean in this place, we serve a God who desires to take what that which is unclean and make you clean. It is the touch. It is the grave of touch. It is this grave. This is the grave mindset. I don't deserve what God has for me. I don't deserve a new future. I don't deserve to be forgiven. I don't deserve to be healed. I don't deserve to be restored. That is the God who says, I want to touch your life. I want to put my hand upon you and heal you. You know, uh, this is really funny. I used to work for a, uh, as a counselor for a seminar-based clinic. And what we did essentially, it was called a personal effectiveness seminar. It was over a weekend. Uh, A guy named Wayne, who was a PhD, was really brilliant. He led this thing. And we would get 30 to 50 people in a room. And we would go all the way from what's called a child walk through wounds, through mindsets, through behaviors that would, that would really heal the past and then prepare you for the future. We'd take the comfort zone, go through the bottom, and then explode through the top, right? So there was a lot of pushing. There was a lot of asking difficult questions. Why do you think you are the way you are? What has made you the way that you are? What is the hurt in your past that has kept you going in this behavior? Why do you act like your father when you hated your father? Th- those kind of questions, right? So we push and push. And when, when I was working on one particular weekend, uh, there was this man, I'm talking grizzly big, strong, wore a flannel jacket over a t-shirt every day and a hat on. He owned a tire shop. He basically looked like on Alaska, right? He was just this bit. no, I'm just kidding. He looked like my dad, really. My dad was just, my dad had a beard in the middle of his chest, ponytail in the middle of his back, wore overalls every day of the week. That was this guy. He was just gruff, tough, and rough, and he came in there, and we were pushing on him, and we were challenging him about his gruffness, and his harshness, and his rudeness, and he exploded, screaming profanities, this, that, and the other, and you, and you, and you, and I'm out of here. His wife is just like cowering next to him, right, and he explodes, and he leaves, and he's sitting in his pickup truck, and an old veteran, his name was Larry, Larry came to me, and he said, Luke, we're gonna go get him, (laughs) Larry, you're 70-some-odd years old, and he's a pretty big guy. I mean, I'm scrappy, but this is going to be a real challenge. He's like, no, we're going to get him. And so we're walking out there, and he said, here's what I want you to do. I'll Never forget this. (laughs) He said, Luke, I want you to touch him. (laughs) What? I want you to touch him. And he said, watch. Here's what's going to happen. I want you to go up, and I want you to gently, whether you touch his shoulder or touch his arm or touch I want you to touch him. And if he doesn't want you to touch him, he's probably going to, like, throw you off. He may scream and yell at you. He may try to fight you or something like that. Don't worry. I'm there. <laughs> but <laughs> this is what he said. He said if he receives the touch, he'll be back in this room. It was his test. It was his test in counseling. He said, listen, if he is willing to receive the touch he'll be back in this room. So we go out there. Sure enough, it's a cold day. He's in a diesel truck. This thing's revving hot. And he's just, he's got the heater on. He's got the window down. He's smoking a cigarette. He's just sitting there. He's fuming mad. I am talking. His brother is ticked off, right? And and, and Larry says, hey, Jim, hey, we want to come talk to you. Does not acknowledge Larry. Like, doesn't say anything. And Larry's like, come, come, come. I'm like, what? You serious? So I I walk up to the truck, I kid you not, and and I'm like, (laughs) like, I'm going to touch a really mad, really big guy right now. All right, let's see what happens. And he's sitting there, and he's got his arm resting on his door, you know, and he's got his cigarette in his hand, and he's not even looking. And I reach up, and I said, hey, Jim. And I went like that. And I just put my hand on his arm. I said, hey, Jim, put my hand on his arm. And he goes like this. He goes, And I was like, oh, shoot, I'm going to get punched in the face right now. And I just stood there like this. And he's staring right at me, right? And I'm like, okay, okay. And I said, hey, man, I said, we really want you back in the room. I said, I believe there's more for you in the room. And I said, would you consider coming back into the room? And you know what he did? He received the touch. And when he received the touch, you know what happened? Two hours later, he was on his knees crying, repenting to his wife. Two hours later, he was begging the Lord to do a work in his life. Two hours later, and why? What happened? He was willing to receive the touch. We have a God that wants to reach out and touch the uncleanliness of. Our lives and listen. His touch now is the Holy Spirit. What replaced Jesus on earth? It is the Holy Spirit. So when you feel the Holy Spirit prompting you, saying, "I want to touch that anger in your life. I want to touch that frustration in your life. I want to touch that anxiety of your life. I want to reach down and touch that hurt of your life, or that brokenness of your life, or that abandonment of your life, or that abuse of your life. I just want to reach." down and I want to touch and I want to take what is unclean and make it clean. We have to receive the touch. You have to receive the prompting. I'm sitting here talking about receiving the touch of the Holy Spirit to set you free from anger. You are an angry person and you're probably mad that I'm talking about you right now even though I don't even know who you are. Here's your choice. Receive the touch. Receive the touch and let God speak to you. Or be angry. Be angry. Push it away. Resist it and don't touch it. But it is the grave of touch that will keep you stuck in uncleanliness. It is the grave of touch that will keep you stuck in the the dirty, filthy things that you want to be free from. But if you will open your heart to the touch of the Holy Spirit you say, Lord, I'm here and I receive. Cleanse me, renew me, rebuild me, give me hope, strengthen me. He will do it. The third grave that we come to is the grave of words. Luke 7, verse 14. I love this over and over and over. The centurion's servant, Lazarus, this person here, it's the grave of words. And Jesus calls people out of the grave with his words. He says, young man. I say to you, get up. His words brought healing. His words brought hope. His words would take people out of a grave and set them. Free. I don't know if we recognize the power of our words to break us free from a grave that we have been stuck in for years. Listen to Proverbs 15.4. The soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. Proverbs 18, 21, you've heard me talk about this before. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. It has the power of the grave or freedom. It can enslave you or it can set you free. Listen to Paul, Ephesians four twenty nine. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who. Who listen, Colossians 4, 6, Paul again, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. I love that we, we miss this power. Look at Romans ten nine through 10. It is the declaration of our mouth that kickstarts salvation. He says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. This is important. This is important to declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. I love Matthew 12, 34 through 35. Jesus condemning the Pharisees. He says, you brood of vipers. How can you who are evil say anything good? How are you, when you are evil, how can you say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. Our words either become the grave that we live in or the steps out of the grave to freedom. We have to decide what we're doing to our own lives by what is coming out of our mouth or by what we're living under, and allowing what's been spoken over us to exist on us. Have have you guys seen uh, this spider filter on Instagram? Have you seen it? Man, some people do it to their kids. Those are sick people. They're mean. I only did it to one of my kids. I didn't do it to all of them. But it's like it's this filter where you hold it up and you show somebody, and all of a sudden there's a spider on their face, and it is hilarious, right? There was this comedian who was going around and he was just punking all of his friends. Unfortunately, I can't show you all his videos because most of them they just cuss like crazy. But uh this one was really, really funny. But this is one of a million. You guys got it? Show him show him the video. Man, everybody yeah, on FaceTime man. talking about you like Steve Harvey. Hey. Look, y'all really think he look like Steve Harvey? Huh? hey, what's wrong with you? Fuck what? Huh? Tell him, tell him one more time. You got it one more time. It gets funny, man. You, everybody yeah, on Facetime, talking about you like, Steve Harvey. Hey, look, y'all really think he look like Steve Harvey? Huh? Hey, what's wrong with you? Huh? He says, "What's wrong with you? <laughs> what's happening to you?" You know, and and I mean, what's crazy is you can watch hundreds, thousands of videos of be- of children crying, like they're just. screaming and crying of this thing and what's crazy is this we know it's not real we know it's not real but they are reacting to the fake thing that has been placed on them here's the problem with words We live our lives like this spider filter where words have been placed on us and we allow them to become a prison that we operate from, from mindset to spirit, and we look so ridiculous because we're reacting in our everyday life to things that are not true. You are not worthless. Despite what somebody may have called you 15 years ago, you're not inadequate you're not not good enough. This is the problem with words as we live in this prison, this grave of words, but God calls us out of these by calling us his child, by telling us we are beloved, his beloved, by letting us know that he loves us, he has called us, he has elevated us, and we are more than conquerors through Christ who strengthens me. You don't live in the prison, in the grave of words anymore, but you have to start speaking it has to start coming out of your mouth first because the grave of words starts right here. The good thing is the freedom of words starts right here. Jesus died and He rose not so that we can just cheer it on but so that we can die and we can rise out of these graves that plague us, there is more freedom for you over the next few weeks.